I'm Chance Storland, and welcome to the Marmot's Hole podcast, brought to you by KoreaFM.net, an online radio station featuring independent musicians and original podcast content from the Korean Peninsula. I'll be joined each week by Robert Kohler, the man behind the Marmot's Hole blog on rjkohler.com that had been running since 2003. Uh, We'll get to (laughs) the reason behind that in a moment. He's currently the editor-in-chief of the monthly culture magazine Seoul and also a writer and photographer for the publishing company Seoul Selection. He's a native of Long Island, New York, and also a graduate of Georgetown University and has lived in South Korea continuously since 1997. So the man, the legend, Rob, thanks for joining me. Uh, glad to be here. As I mentioned in the intro, and as people probably have seen by now, I saw this all over Facebook. I even saw this on other prominent blogs. Um, on December 28th, you posted uh, an entry on your website entitled, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. You mentioned that uh, with the end of the year approaching and no end to your extended blogging vacation in sight, you've decided it's a good time to finally pull the plug on the marmot's hole. You said, uh, to be perfectly honest, you kind of just don't want to do it anymore and you haven't for quite some time. And it's no secret that your passion nowadays is photography and you wrote that it, quote, makes you happy. Um, I have some comments from uh, that post. There's 63 of them as of today. Um, I'm sure hundreds of people have seen that. But uh, first, why don't you explain what happened and uh, why you decided to uh, to end the journey that was your blog that was a very important blog for not only people here in Korea, but for people all over the world who were interested in what was going on. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I, I'd been doing it since 2003. And... Um, you know, when you've been running a blog for that long, um, you know, uh, you know, sometimes you just, uh, you know, you run out of things to say, you to keep on saying the same thing over and over again. And, you know, I'm not young anymore. I'm 41 now. And, uh, you know, I have, uh, other responsibilities to take care of. Uh, you know, I have, a as uh, I think you pointed out, I, I work for a publishing company. So, um, you know, I've, do uh, two magazines with them now um, in addition to uh, book projects and uh, other assorted uh, duties. Um, You know, it's hard to put in the time and uh, I I hadn't blogged in several months. I mean, my co-bloggers were uh, keeping up the blog, but um, you know, it just, it it wasn't the same. And uh, you know, um, you know, it got to a point where, you know, look, uh, you know, I was spending over a hundred dollars a month, to, you know, for hosting. Really? You were spending a hundred dollars, more than a hundred dollars a month just for hosting. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot of crap. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Between the posts and the, and the comments, um, and for a long time, uh, you know, the, uh, I was getting enough hits that, um, yeah, it really necessitated having a, uh, what do you call it? A, a, a dedicated server, um, uh, for the blog. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you remember what it was like uh, during the early days of that blog, but you know, uh, it would be frequently offline because, uh, hosting sites would, uh, would, uh, would pull it, um, or shut it down because it was just taking up too many resources. So, um, eventually I moved it to a pretty reputable hoster, uh, hosting company, um, that, uh, they did a real good job with it, but, uh, it was, you know, you had to pay for, it, you know, you had to pay. And, um, yeah, I think also WordPress tends to be a little bit, you know, uh, resource intensive in terms of, uh, you know, the load on the server. So, you know, there's that as well, but yeah, so I was paying, uh, over a hundred dollars to, to host that site a site I hadn't blogged in on, you know, I hadn't touched in months. Yeah. And so, uh, some of the comments that I wanted to go over, I'm just paraphrasing here, but the one person wrote that it's become less fun since Robert left, but they also hope that it's uh, just the end of a long hiatus rather than a permanent closure. So they want you to come back. Another person says it hasn't been the same since you quit being the primary writer wishes you the best, and says that uh, they really like your photography. So I guess it makes sense that if you weren't going to be writing as much as you had in the past, you wouldn't want to pay for it either. You know, and it wasn't just me that quit. Um, 
you know, when I stopped blogging, some of my other co-bloggers also stopped contributing. You know, by by the end of it, there were basically two guys who were uh, posting there, and uh, you know, while I'm grateful for uh, for them, you know, keeping the ship afloat during that period, it's it, it wasn't the same. And uh, you know, frankly, the the hit counts and the, the page views reflected that, and to get it back to you know, even anywhere, you know, to half of what it was before would have required way too much effort. Also, my 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 photo blog at Tumblr, I mean, it's it's doing okay. You know, um, that's why I spend most of my time now. And you know, um, yeah, the Marbets Hall had become something that more trouble than it was worth. And then, you know, it was also you know, it was aggravating at times too. Occasionally, you know, to have to go in there to either you know. Re- not just the money thing, but also, you know, I have to repair it. You know, if there's a, you know, a code breakdown or something, or, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, like recently, for example, there was one post where, uh, you know, one of my code bloggers basically cut and paste a, uh, an entire post from what was obviously, or what should have been obviously a Japanese, a revisionist Japanese website. And, uh, you know, then that goes out on my t- my Facebook and Twitter, and then people ask me, "What the hell is this?" And then I gotta go in and I gotta pull the post because you know it should have been up there in the first place. A um, couple of other things that just, you know, um, there are other ways I could spend that hundred dollars. <laughs> and so, one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, and we'll be moving on to a few other topics before the end of the podcast as well. But before we move on from discussing your blog. I believe the first uh, one of those comments of the 63 up on rjcooler.com is that it's one thing to stop blogging. It's another to pull down the blog and the archives. So, I mean, after you've explained that it was $100 or more a month to host this site, I guess it makes more sense to me. Is that why you decided to take down the archives instead of just keeping, you know, everything that was there and leaving it on rjcooler.com? Well, I mean, I might, you know, I saved the data, you know, I saved the database. So, I mean, you know, one day, you know, I might get a cheap site and re-upload the data, you know, the old posts or, or whatnot. Um, you know, there's another thing too to it, which is, you know, like I said, when I started the blog, I was a very different dude, right? Um, and you've written about that. I I was looking up some of the previous things you wrote about and what people said about the posts, and you said time and time again how different of a person you were back then when you started versus who you are now. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's an arrogant thing to say, too. I mean, I don't, you know, um, you know, how much do we change? I mean, maybe that's more wishful thinking on my part than anything else. But, um, you know, the blog is not really representative of me anymore. You know, if I ever did get back into blogging, uh, and I'm not necessarily saying I will, but if I did, you know, I'd like to be a little bit more free from that heritage, if you will, or free from that, you know, uh, the, the legacy of the, of the Marmot's hole. Yeah. I mean, mostly it's financial, but I mean, it's, um, you know, I think it's also, you know, get it, you know, it's a little bit more liberating. All right. Well, let's move on to some other things then. It's great to have you here, of course, for this weekly podcast. And I wanted to do this podcast with you because you're such an authority on not only what's happened here in Korea over the recent years that you've been here, but I found that you also have great insight on new events and new news that come up, you know, every day here on the peninsula. And uh, one thing that actually just happened this weekend, there was a giant fight in uh, Itaewon. I mean, there are fights in Korea, you know, all the time. Well, maybe not all the time, but there are fights that happen in Korea. But this was a huge foreigner fight that was caught on video. Um, One video I saw had more than 6,000 views, and I believe I saw another one that had more than 1 million. You know, it's the same video just uploaded to different websites or different accounts. Um, I believe it was in the Itaewon area near where the Turkish ice cream stand is because you can see the guy who's always standing there in the video trying to avoid getting caught in the fight. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I think I'm guessing that was in front of the UN club. Yeah, I, I think that's the area. I recognized it, but I couldn't tell exactly. But I mean, if you go to Taiwan, you'll probably recognize the area that this took place in. So, you know, like I said, things happen with Koreans, things happen with foreigners, but this was really just an epic battle. I mean, there there weren't teeth flying or anything, but it was it was pretty huge. And it's unfortunate because we're both foreigners. 
you know, Korea is not the most open society in the world. Visas here in the country aren't that easy to come by either. You know, so some of the comments that I've seen online have been talking about how now it's going to be harder to be a foreigner here. And some of the comments uh, that I've also seen were people pointing out that they recognize some of the people in the fight and they say that they're American military. Now, those are just comments. I don't want to report any false information. Those are just the comments once again. Um, but what have you seen? What have you heard? I know you posted on Facebook uh, earlier that no arrests were made after the fight. Right. I mean, even, you know, even, you know, um, you know, I've been reading, for example, or, uh, you know, or watching TV Chosun, which is the uh, TV station of the uh, the Chosun Ilbo, which is a reliably uh, pro-American newspaper. Um, but uh, even they're like, uh, you know, WTF. Um, but I, most of the anger that I've seen has not so much been at the at the foreigners, uh, at least regarding this subject, this particular fight. Most of the most of the commentary that I've seen is, you know, wondering about the police. You mean the one policeman? Not just the one police officer, but I mean, it's 85 meters. The fight was about 85 meters from uh, a police box, right? A police station. Yeah, it's right there. Right. It's like, even if there's one cop out there, right? You know, in the middle of this big fight, you know, you'd think his cop buddies would come in, you know, back them up right you know that that's a good point obviously the video only shows a short part of the fight but the whole time the cop is just weaving in and out of the fighting trying not to get hit quite dexterously my my i might add yeah i i was impressed but no one really attacks you know the police officer you know but at the same time people you know do run into him and there is some physical contact there but i don't remember seeing the the officer radioing for backup at any point so that's a good point because you know you would assume more cops Right. I mean, I, I, we're still trying to figure out what the hell happened. Um, I, I, they, I, the latest report that I've seen, they still haven't identified the subject, but, uh, I got a comment on Facebook that, uh, said that, uh, USFK was acknowledging that, um, that, uh, they were, uh, military dependents. Okay. So that's been acknowledged at least from what you saw. Uh, I mean, that's unverified. I should say that's unverified. It's just a comment on my Facebook. Um, so I haven't read that independently. So, I, you know, again, I don't know. I mean, I was listening to the video. You, I, you know, in addition to watching, I was listening to it, um, as I'm sure you did. And uh, it did sound like uh, uh, they did sound like they were Americans. Yeah. You know, it had that certain American ring to it. You know, for anyone who hasn't seen the video, it's really hard to describe it. But like I said before, it's just a huge street fight. I mean, it's kind of comical. Everyone are just throwing punches, um, predominantly black males. I think there were some females in the video as well who also threw a few punches, but those, I believe, were directed at a guy who had fallen down on the ground. Um, no one was, seemed obviously hurt, um, so I think it's okay to, to laugh a, a little bit. Um, but like I said, it's really hard to describe, so I encourage people to, to try to watch it and see it for themselves. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to laugh about it, but uh, at the same time, I mean... Yeah, it's a serious issue. I mean, that's uh, you know, people could have been hurt in that. Not just the participants involved, but you know, you know, uh, what's you know, passersby or you know, uh, people getting caught in the uh, the cross punch, I guess. Um, and plus, yeah, I mean, what the hell is a cop shop just uh, you know, you know, less than a hundred meters away? I think one of the guys on the chosen elbow pointed out, you know. You know, an adult male could cover that distance in about 20 seconds. Oh, yeah. Very close. <laughs> right. Um, heck, even an American cop can make that in 20 seconds. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> well, that might be pushing it, Rob. You haven't been back to the States in quite a while. Yeah. I mean, uh, by the way, I should point out, but since I brought out American cops, you know, it, it's easy to lambast the uh, the Korean cops for, you know, not responding particularly well to this. But. Yeah, you know, there's the other side of it, too, is, you know, at least nobody got shot. And as I mentioned earlier, this was predominantly, if not all black males, uh, some females can be seen in the video as well. And, you know, in the United States right now, that could mean bodies from from what's been happening with all the shootings lately. Well, exactly right. I mean, you know, um, you know, I, you know, I'm, I tend to be somewhat sympathetic to law enforcement. Um. So, 
you know, I definitely feel for the cop, especially the one cop out there. Um, and I do wonder what happened to his buddies, but, uh, I guess there's a certain beauty to, um, not overreacting, you know, and not, you know, tasing anybody or shooting anybody or, you know, putting anybody in a, you know, a sleeper hold. I think there could have definitely been more reaction. And I've seen a lot of people saying that in some of the online, uh, online comments, but you know, I completely agree with you that that's at least somewhat refreshing. You know, if you overreact, there's no going back. And we've seen that in the United States. But if you underreact, as long as there's no horrible consequence, you know, that didn't look like anyone got hurt. The policeman didn't look like he got hurt. You can at least improve on that for the next time. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, you know, I think the cop probably did as much as he could have, more or less. But, yeah, where were his buddies? Yeah, and then there's, you know, the cop issue. And then there's the, you know, general, you know, acting like an asshole in a foreign country. Okay, so so let's talk about then. What does this show? Does this show we need more MP patrols in Taiwan, or we need more cops stationed in Taiwan? Well, that was the other thing. It's like, why do we, why do we have the courtesy patrols if this is the shit that's going to happen? Um, you know, where were they? You know, I mean, again, I don't know. I guess, yeah, you know, like I said, I don't know that any of them were actually military, right? Um, I assumed. Um, that they were at first, I, and I don't know, but yeah, I mean, you have the courtesy patrols, you have the cops out there and, you know, how does this happen? But, um, uh, you know, go, going back to, uh, you know, foreigners misbehaving, I mean, look, um, you know, this isn't the United States, right? Um, you know, anytime you go overseas, you know, you are something of an ambassador for your country. Uh, doubly so if you happen to be, you know, connected with a certain, you know, uh, national organization like the military, right? It's, this ain't good. Um, I don't think it's going to lead to any type of backlash. I mean, anytime there's an incident like this, you know, I think there are certain segments of the foreign population that think, oh, this is, you know, now the media is going to blame us and there's going to be a huge backlash. I just, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, yeah, because I believe the last military-related brawl, if you will. It actually took place in Hongdae, maybe sometime in the last year um, when I used to live there. Some military guys got into a fight outside of a, a hip-hop club. And once again, this is just from my memory, so I apologize if I get any details wrong. Um, they then took the guy who got injured. Apparently, they all knew each other. They took him to a hotel instead of bringing him to the hospital, You know, probably because they thought they would have gotten in trouble. But by the next morning, he'd gotten either gotten a lot worse or maybe even had died up to that point. And then I believe they brought him to a hospital you know, then it was discovered what had happened. Um, and that person, unfortunately, you know, ended up dying. But I don't remember anything specifically coming down after that event, any big change. So while this is an interesting video and people are talking about it, commenting about it online, what would actually change? Yeah, I, my, my own impression is that, uh, is that the uh, USFK has, you know, since the, you know, uh, since the early 2000s done, uh, a reasonably good job of of improving, you know, off base discipline. Um, you know, incidents like this don't happen. At least they don't seem to happen as much as uh, they used to. Um, but uh, still, I mean, look, you know, um, you know, uh, even if we all agree that. Um, you know, even if we agree that, let's say, you know, the, you know, the foreign crime rates less than the local crime rate, especially, you know, for, uh, you know, uh, crimes involving U.S. servicemen still, you know, look, you know, this is, this does not look good. Yes, the military is held to a higher standard and perhaps it should be, you know, um, yeah, just in this case, thankfully, you know, nobody was hurt. Thankfully, none of as far as I could tell, none of the locals were involved and none of the locals got hurt. And not only that, but you see people off to the side of the giant street battle just standing there, you know, watching, even filming with their phones, trying not to get involved. I mean, this happened in a very busy street in a very busy part of Seoul on New Year's weekend. Right. It's in the middle of it's. A, yeah, right. It's in the middle of it on on New, on, on, on the New Year's weekend. I mean, what the hell? Um, who, who thought that would be a good I, who thought that would be a good idea? You know, 
did, did anybody not think that how this is going to look, you know, how this is going to reflect on, you know, not just, you know, foreigners, but again, assuming that this is military, you know, how would it reflect on the military? Right. Uh, you know, um, yeah. And the other thing too, is that also kind of annoys me is that, the, you know, there is a cop there, you know, um, and nobody seems to pay him any mind, which, you know, but Rob, I mean, the, does that really surprise you? I mean, I've, I've played in lots of bands and done a lot of busking Friday, Saturday nights here in Seoul. And I've seen people do a lot of things to Korean cops. I mean, in the U.S., I don't even want to look at a cop nowadays because I'm just afraid I'll do or say something to get myself in trouble. But here in Korea, I'm not afraid of cops at all. I mean, I, I've had generally very good experiences talking to the police um, in Korean or in English. I've seen people do, unfortunately, quite a lot of bad things to cops here, hitting them or pushing them. So yeah, I guess for me, the unsurprising thing in the video was that they treated the cop like he wasn't even there. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I like you, I've seen, you know, people do some, you know, things to cops that might get you shot in the United States. <laughs> but, um, that, I mean, but try to look at it from how a local might look at this. They might, you know, they see this huge fight involving foreigners and quite possibly USFK personnel um, in the middle of downtown Seoul, um, there's a cop there. Nobody seems to pay any respect to him. You know, how do you think that comes off? You know, it's look at these foreigners. They don't care about our laws. They don't care about our law enforcement. They just ignore him. You know, and when this gets, you know, when this gets tied in with certain other narratives out there. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, children, you know, think before you punch. No, yeah, that's an interesting point. If if this had just been a giant fight in Taiwan, that would have been one thing. But the presence of just that one officer in the video could allow for certain opinions, you know, to be drawn from watching that and seeing how people treated him. Uh, this just happened this weekend, so we'll have to see how this plays out. Um, but something that I, I want to mention, as this is an example of foreigners behaving badly, you know, if you will, um, the exact opposite is also true, of course. I just did a report for the media company I work for about Oink, the uh, only in Korea Facebook group, and how Travis, the group's creator, and also uh, Deja, one of the moderators of that group, um, and some other people who were involved, uh, came together. And so that includes both foreigners and uh, uh, Koreans. And they recently raised $2,000 to help the homeless here in Seoul. They used about $1,000 of that to buy warm clothing and a ton of food. Um, they got together, I believe, uh, the weekend before uh, December 25th, assembled it all at a restaurant in Itaewon. Then they took some taxis um, to go to, you know, where the big homeless, at least visually where the big homeless population is, and that's at Seoul Station. They said somewhere around 200 homeless people received that clothing and the food. So this is a great example of foreigners. Uh, and once again, you know, Koreans uh, are a part of that group as well, uh, only in Korea, doing some nice things that helped balance out that giant foreigner fight video that's now come out. But this is good not only because it's helping, you know, people during the holiday season who obviously need some help, but because in my opinion, these people are ignored um, by the city government here in Seoul, but also because of, of the structure of the, the social programs in Korea, I think they're also ignored by the federal gov uh, government. So Rob, what, what are your opinions on, on homelessness here in, in Korea? You know, from my own two eyes, I'd say it's gotten worse in the last two years that I, I've been living here in Seoul. I've also done multiple reports uh, on this topic for my job. And Korea, I believe, is, uh, also has the highest poverty rate for elderly people in the OECD at around 50%. So is this just going to continue to get worse? No, it's hard to say, really. I mean, you know, um, Korea, you know, for all its you know, it's, it's, um, economic, uh, it, the great strides it's made developing economically since, uh, the end of the Korean war. Um, you know, uh, like any type of late developing state, you know, it, it's had to, you know, leave certain, you know, put certain things on the back burner, so to speak. Um, you know, and one of them was one of those things was developing a uh, a a fully functioning welfare state. So it's still, you know, um, 
the Korean welfare state still very much a, a work in progress. Um, I think, you know, again, um, I'm not really an expert on anything, and I'm definitely not an expert on social policy. Um, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. The pension that older Koreans get is literally like bread and water compared to a lot of other countries. And it's funny because Korea has, you know, national health insurance. Um, I have national health insurance now. All the teachers in Korea have national health insurance. I'm sure you probably uh, have national health insurance. But even if you don't have health insurance in Korea, it's still cheap. When I came to Korea two years ago, uh, I was still dealing with a lot of health care problems from my horrible Peace Corps service, um, from the medical people that worked for the Peace Corps, um, just wanted to save money, wouldn't send me to the doctor, blah, 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 blah. Don't join the Peace Corps people. It, it's a really bad organization. And they've had some recent reports that have just shown time and time again how they don't care about volunteers. But be that as it may. When I first got here, I didn't have health insurance, uh, still had some lingering health care issues, still do now, but it was only like $15 to go to a, a doctor when I lived in Hongdae um, when I had no health insurance. And th when I had to get a chest x-ray one time, they were like, oh, you know, don't have insurance, this can be really expensive, but it was only $20. And so this was really sad, but also great for me <laughs> to see the advantage of having medical care done in Korea. Um, you know, because it would just be so much more expensive back home in the States, even if I had insurance. But at the same time, if you're old here in Korea and you don't have money saved up and, you know, truthfully, people should probably save more. But there are some reasons why some people can and others can't. But if you don't have the money, you're really screwed. And that's why we see tons of people, uh, tons of old people, you know, even on Friday, Saturday nights in areas like in areas like Hongdae or Taiwan and and all across the city, just hauling these uh, big piles of cardboard across the city because they don't have any income and they're just trying to get bottles and cardboard to get whatever money they can. Right. I mean, is that, um, you know, uh, you know, in the past, this might have the fact that, you know, children were expected to take care of their, uh, you know, their elderly parents, you know, you know, the, stereotypical Korean home is three generations under one roof, right? Um, you know, where the lack of, uh, you know, the lack of, uh, of a generous pension system might've, yeah, that might've mitigated some of the, the harsher, uh, impacts of, of that, that, of, of the small pensions. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, the society's changing now. Um, you know, you're starting to see a lot more older people living alone. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is going to be, you know, not just that, but also, I mean, there's structural change, there's structural changes in the economy where it's, you know, it's, you know, it's a young man's economy now. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't have the kind of job security anymore. So you have, you get forced into early retirement, I think somewhere maybe in your mid fifties, uh, from the chables. I, I keep reading about that. They're just forcing people out. Right. So, I mean, between low birth rates, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the early retirement, you know, people, you know, you know, people, middle-aged people are, uh, you know, uh, losing their jobs. This is going to only get worse. So, um, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think, uh, as you mentioned, the old people, yeah, the, the homeless tend to be ignored. Um, I don't think they're ignored. I, th I do think the government is aware that they're there. Um, and they're definitely, this, and the civic groups definitely know that they're there. You know, if you look at the homeless in Seoul Station, um, you know, it's not just, you know, people who, you know, it's not just people who lost their job. I mean, you know, jobs and you know, can't find work or, you know, they got a bad break. You know, we are talking about a lot. Yeah. The mentally ill, um, alcoholics, um, you know, so it's, it's more than just a pension issue. It's also, you know, uh, mental health issues, mental health issues, um, particularly with addiction. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, there are a number of blind spots in, in, in the social safety net that probably need to be, um, you know, that, you know, that need to be looked at and, you know, solutions found either in the public or in the private sector.
Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and, and this is kind of a cop-out as well, because um, it's not an excuse, but it's like with gun violence in the States. When someone does something really horrible, you know, they start looking to see, you know, were there any signs? And there often are the signs that, you know, there were warning signs from officials or people need medication. They weren't doing it. There's some sort of mental health in, uh, mental health history. And then these signs were ignored or maybe they weren't handed to the right people. So I completely agree with you. It's addiction. It's also mental health. Um, but, you know, it's ironic because, like I said, even though the healthcare in Korea is really good and really cheap, you might not go out and get help because of the stigma that's attached to mental illness or seeking help for mental issues here in Korea. But, of course, I mean, that still exists in America as well. Right. I mean, st- that stigma exists in a lot of places and to some extent still does, even in you know developed countries. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, things change slowly. Okay, well, let's talk now about something that I don't know if change is the right term, but there's definitely been a lot of developments in the last week or so. And uh, this is something that wasn't covered uh, covered on the Marmitol blog due to the timing of its closing down. So, you know, after 70 years, basically the Japanese and South Korean governments have finally reached a bilateral agreement to settle this comfort women issue. But Really, you know, Comfort Women is just a dressed up term. It's sexual slavery during the Second World War. So the agreement makes the Japanese government give a one time final apology and pay 8 billion yen, which is only about $8.3 million. So not a ton of money that will then be used to provide care for the surviving Comfort Women through a foundation that will be set up. Now, the interesting thing here is that not only is it very controversial for a lot of different reasons, but this deal only deals with South Korea. So leaders from other countries, you know, even North Korea now talking about setting up a similar deal with Japan. However, uh, you know, as I just mentioned, still lots of criticism from this deal for other reasons coming right here from Korea. Um, I've read accounts of comfort women and their supporters who say the government didn't consult any of the victims before announcing the deal, which you, of course, would assume that they would. There's also the discussion of this controversial statue um, that's come up in the news a lot lately and if it will be moved. Uh, basically, there's a Comfort Woman statue here in Seoul that's in a v- really bad location for the Japanese government or a good location, you know, if you if you want to remind them of their crimes. And there are reports that the Japanese government is saying that the moving of the statue was part of the deal, while the Korean government appears to deny that. And this is all happening day in and day out. So it's kind of hard to explain everything that's going on. But I wanted to go through some some facts. And I still want to go through some basic facts about comfort women themselves before we begin the discussion. So generally, academics estimate that about uh, 200,000 women and girls, uh, girls because they were often very young, were forced into sexual slavery by the Japanese during the World War II period. However, half of these victims are estimated to be from Korea. And the others came from China, Taiwan, the Philippines, Indonesia, and even uh, Dutch women. And there's also some discussion on on how these women, you know, were quote unquote recruited, but basically generally accepted that the Korean women were either kidnapped outright or at the very least lied to about what the kind of work they were going to be doing, uh, you know, where they would be going. And so the women or their families signed work contracts. They were then sent to Japanese military brothels, you know, in war zones, and the women were abused, uh, killed, uh, often not paid fully or not even at all. And at the end of the war, many of the women were then killed or had to figure out, you know, how to get back home on their own. Many of women, of course, didn't make it home. So, of course, you know, there are a lot more details, but I just wanted to give a general run through on this history. And I hope I, I got everything more or less correct. Um, so, Rob, let's talk about it. What, what did you think about this new deal? Um, and especially, you know, since you weren't able to blog about it on the Marmot's Hole. We're going to have to wait a bit to see how the... Korean public reacts to this in the long term. Uh, definitely the short in the short, you know, definitely the short term reaction has not been good. Um, it's actually been interesting to watch uh, the overseas press, which has generally been quite laudatory to the agreement. Um, and not just the press, but I mean, even, you know, not just the United States, but I guess the Germans have even, you know, uh, uh, the Germans have uh, praised the, uh, the agreement, uh, even Ban Ki-moon over at the UN praised the agreement. Um, so, you know, uh, there's been, I think internationally with, with certain exceptions, but internationally, I think, uh, the, the agreement has gone over well. Uh, and it's definitely, it seems to have gone over well in the, in the foreign press, at least the Western press anyway. 
Um, whereas here, um, yeah, it is a lot less enthusiasm for it. Um, and again, it's, these things are complicated, you know, definitely with the victims that are associated with, um, one particular group of survivors, right. Um, they definitely seem unhappy with it. And I suppose if I were a former comfort woman, um, I would be very unhappy with it. Um, but then again, if I were a former comfort woman, um, I wouldn't forget Japan, you know, regardless of what they did, <laughs> you know, you know, how can, you know, um, there, for what Japan did to, for what Japan did, you know, um, really what, you know, that's, that's beyond, that's beyond apology. That's a good point, but you have to at least at some point be at least somewhat pragmatic and say, okay, these countries obviously have to have a relationship um, and they have to move on at some point. Uh, you know, for instance, I lived in Germany for a year and obviously you don't want to compare one situation to another, but Germany has done a very good job of showing remorse and regret and trying to make sure that what happened in World War II won't happen again. Now, I wouldn't say any of those positive things about what Japan has done. Now, at the same time, there does need to be at least an idea of what they should do or otherwise, how could they do it? So, you know, is there something in this deal missing that would have made it better or is it just that any deal would have had the types of problems we're seeing now? Oh, there's been a lot missing from this, you know, from this issue, I mean, from this very issue going back to its very start, you know, namely that, you know, nobody even talked about it until the 1990s. Right. And when the first, you know, people started coming out and talking about it, of course, Japan, you know, does what Japan does best, which is initially and deny that it did anything. And then later acknowledge that something happened and then, you know, issue a issue, a half ass. But then it happens, you know, but then it wasn't the government's fault. But then, oh, you know, they admit, OK, the government right. was involved. Right. Then issue a half assed apology that, you know, not really an apology. And then, you know, uh, and then that apology sort of gets canceled by people with, you know, you know, political groups within Japan that said, yeah, you know, yeah, we apologize. But, you know, we didn't really do anything wrong. Um, you know, it's, and even this agreement, it's like, you know, um, you know, one gets the feeling that the United States leaned on Japan to, you know, start playing nicer, you know, with this issue. But, you know, it's, it's like any other Japanese apology. It's, you know, why did it take so long? Why does it feel like, you know, why do you have to twist, you know, their arms so much to get them to do what they should have done a long, long time ago? And even the agreement itself, right? I mean, they don't talk about force. You know, they don't talk about, um, you know, they're, they're, they're focus on you've got to remove the, the, the statue of the comfort women from in front of the embassy. Um, you know, the Japanese seem like they're fixated on certain things that they really should be paying more attention to other issues. Um, yeah, the compensation itself is, 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 is really small. So I think we both agree that Japan will not get any awards from either you or I for their ability to recognize the crimes they have committed. But what about the Korean government? You know, they agreed to this deal, right? So what's the responsibility that the Korean government has? You know, should they have said no, absolutely no, until there was a better deal? Or are they just guilty of, of being a little too pragmatic with, with uh, the deal that was made? Well, you know, depending on who you talk to, um, yeah, either they were being pragmatic that they want to you know, uh, they need, they either want or feel the need to, you know, re, re, uh, repair their relations with the Japanese. Um, you know, some people are talking about pressure from the United States on them, uh, to, you know, uh, you know, come to some type of agreement with, with the Japanese on this. Um, yeah, uh, I definitely the critic. There's a lot of, you know, in terms of this agreement, uh, especially here, a lot of the criticism is directed at this government for, um, you know, for signing this deal. You know, um, obviously some of the commentary from the surviving, uh, some of the comments from the surviving comfort women, uh, 
have been rather, uh, they've reacted very angrily and, uh, you know, to both the agreement and uh, the government's part. And obviously, uh, I think uh, one of the surviving comfort women called the foreign minister a traitor. Um, you know, and again, like I said, I don't blame them. Um, you know, uh, you know, if I spent the, the flower of my youth getting gang raped by the Imperial Japanese army, um, yeah, I might not be satisfied until Japan sank into the sea. And then they lied about it. I mean, this is really a two or three part issue because of all the levels of lying that have taken place. It's more than just lying. It's, um, you know, if you listen to certain Japanese politicians now, it's Japan is like any other country. It has, you know, it's, you know, it has its nutball politicians, right? Although I will say that, especially in terms of revisionist history, the things that Japanese politicians can stay can say and still be considered part of the political mainstream is remarkably generous. <laughs> but you have Japanese politicians going out there and saying things like, oh, you know, uh, you know, basically the problem is, you know, the comfort women problem is not Japan's problem, it's Korea's problem because Korea is a nation of whores. Or, you know, linking the comfort women with, you know, you know, the prostit- you know, Korean prostitution in Japan today. You know, stuff like that that's just, you know, it's nasty. It's not just nasty. It's just, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine people saying, you know, for example, I can't imagine German politicians saying that about, I don't know, Jews in, the, in, in Germany. I just, you can't, I mean, I don't want to say that the two are the same. They're not. Just like I was saying earlier, you know, you don't want to compare, but it's obvious sometimes that comparisons can be made. And in Germany, you know, for instance, you can't deny the Holocaust. They have done a wonderful job of making sure you can't say those things. And rightfully so, you know, because of what happened. Right. Right. So, I mean, the fact that the comfort women are that, or at least the fact that many of the comfort women are not willing to, you know, that they're not happy with this agreement is not a surprise, especially considering that I think there's a very strong argument to be made that the agreement itself is not good and lacking in certain, you know, important aspects. Um, but that being said, that being said, um, like I said, I want to see how this plays out in the long run. I want to see how this plays out in the Korean public as a whole and whether they eventually come to terms with this agreement. I, I don't know if they will, but I, I, you know, like I said, it's, it's too early to tell. We could go on and, and talk about this for a very long time, but I guess my final question before we wrap up the podcast today, you know, could this really be the end of, of the comfort women issue, at least on a, a state level, a country level of reparations, or will there always be a call for more of an apology from Japan you know, is something else going to be needed in the future after this deal? If you're asking my, if you're asking me to make a prediction here, um, I would say no. I think this is still very much an open issue, and I think there's a strong possibility that this agreement will not result in the kind of. Um, I think there's a very strong possibility that this agreement will not get the kind of social consensus that perhaps its framers. Hope it will. But like I said, I don't know that for certain. I think we still got to wait and see how it goes. Um, There will always be certain, I think it's likely that there will always be certain voices in Korea um, that will never be happy with any type of apology Japan gives. Like just Just as I believe in Japan, there are always going to be Voices that think that they didn't do anything wrong in World War II, that they were fighting the good fight. Um, you know, I think, you know, in any country, there's always going to be a diversity of opinion. So I don't think that's really surprising. Um, you know, I, I certainly read comments and commentary that seems to suggest that, oh, it's, you know, the problem is in Korea and China that they'll never forget Japan because they're nationalists and whatnot um you know granted nationalism is a factor and it is an issue but i think the bigger issue is that you know japan has just been so ham-fisted in its 
apology diplomacy, if you will, that it, fr- very frustratingly so, because I, I want to like, you know, I like Japan as a country, right? I mean, well, I like all countries, I mean, as, as a country, right? I mean, <laughs> you're like the parent who says, I love my son, but I don't love the things he does. Well, look, I mean, like, you know, um, you know, I, I want to like Japan. Look, I mean, Japan has generally speaking been uh, a relatively, you know, been a force for good for the last, you know, what, 70 years. Um, you know, they've got their, you know, you know, um, there's a lot to admire to what Japan has done since the end of World War II. But, you know, the fact that their relations with their two immediate neighbors are so bad. That's actually a really good point. It's like, try imagining a country that is as developed as Japan, but has such a poor relationship with the two countries right next door. It's very strange because if you actually look at like opinion polls in Japan, they're generally very high. Right. I mean, who hates Japan and like Sweden, right? (laughs) Nobody does. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, especially, you know, once you get out of the older generation that, you know, you know, they had, you know, you know, um, you know, once you get past the generation that, you know, had to fight in Guadalcanal or build the, uh, you know, build the Burma Railroad. You know, once you get past that, most people are generally, you know, very, generally hold Japan in pretty high regard until you get to Japan's immediate neighbors. And that probably says a lot. Um, you know, um you know, it, it didn't have to be that way. I mean, Japan could have, you know, they could have tackled this a long time earlier. Um, and uh, like I said, I, 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 I want to see, a re, you know, I want to see a reapproachment. I want to see, you know, Korea and Japan getting along. I think they have a lot in common. They have a lot of common interests. They have a ton in common. I mean, just to think off the top of my head, recently I was working on a report there's a huge relationship between, you know, the music industries, J-pop and K-pop, but of course, you know, the strong similarities between the languages, the food, the culture. Yeah, not to, not to mention like ironclad, you know, security relationships with the United States. I mean, there's a lot there that, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, like I said, their their interests are in many ways, you know, closely related, and there's a lot there that they... There's a lot of mutual interest there, um, but these history, historical issues um, need to be put to need to be need to be addressed. And as Japan, as you know, um, yes, I realize that maybe in certain other countries they're not as you know not necessarily. Yeah, you know, look, no, no few countries are perfectly honest about their history, right? Yeah, but this this is a little different than that. It's like. In the United States, and this is just my own opinion, but it's not like when I grew up in a small town in rural Iowa that people pretended that we didn't just murder all the Native Americans that used to be there. You know, we didn't pretend it didn't happen. We, we just didn't talk about it all the time. I mean, we, we definitely need to talk about it more and admit what happened. But it wasn't like I said, man, you know, we, we killed a bunch of Native Americans. And then people said, don't you say that. That's a lie. I mean, that's more like what's going on with Japan. Right. No, I mean, like... Most countries will overlook unpleasant aspects and you know certain unpleasant aspects in history, but very few countries were you know major axis powers you know that lost World War II. Um, not to put too fine a point on it, but you know there are repercussions to joining the you know the the Berlin you know Rome Tokyo axis and then losing a world war. But the main the main point is is um, these historical issues need to be overcome, and in Japan, as the aggressor nation and as, as the victimizer, needs to be the one to to put the effort in. I think that's an excellent way to end this conversation, as well as the podcast, Rob. I I disagree with you know some of the decisions that have been made by the South Korean government, and also you know truth be told, I sometimes wonder about some of the things I hear coming from uh, the supporters of the, the Comfort Women, some of these organizations. But in general, I support and I believe in the cause for recognition of the crimes that Japan uh, committed and uh, the fact that the, the history of these crimes should be taught in schools. But as the aggressor, the buck definitely stops with Japan. 
and they have to make that extra effort, as you said. So touche, Rob. But uh, before we finish, as uh, the Marmot's Hole blog has ended, uh, at least for now, how can people find uh, your photography online? That's what you concentrate on now. Yeah, you can see my, uh, admittedly, um, you know, nobody's ever going to confuse me with uh, Ansel Adams, but um, if you want to see um, mediocre photography uh, from Korea, um, you can go to rjkohler.com humbler.com Nah, Rob, you sell yourself short. There are other photographers in Seoul, obviously. Sometimes people do uh, some shots that look a little similar to yours, but you are the guy who does those long, wide shots of the city, especially at night. That's definitely your thing. Not mediocre at all. So uh, check out his photography and we'll keep doing this uh, Marmot's Hole podcast every week. So Rob, I appreciate your time and I'll speak with you next week. All right, well, talk to you next week. I'm Chance Dorland, and this has been the Marmot's Hole podcast for KoreaFM.net. We do a bunch of different things on KoreaFM. We have a 24-7 uh, music radio station that you can stream on your computer, on your phone, um, anything that has an internet connection. And uh, that features Korean artists as well as expat artists 24-7. We also do a daily Korean news update podcast. It's uh, anywhere from three to five minutes, um, some short stories of what's going on during the day. And uh, we also do, you know, the Marmot's Hole podcast that you're listening to right now, as well as uh, some other podcasts of events or special issue coverage, of course, related to Korea. If you'd like to uh, find out more, visit our website, koreafm.net. Sometimes you want to someone trust you. Inside people with your